Yeah, it was at the beginning of summer. My oldest son came to my wife and I. He had a great idea for the summer. He asked um, if we can do a family book reading because he was really interested and wanted to read this book called Wonder. And he knew the movie was coming out this fall. And so he wanted us to read it as a family and then we all go see it this fall um, as a family. So this summer, uh, we, we, on our vacation, we took two weeks and it feels like we drove the whole United States of America uh, to Missouri, to Niagara Falls and all around. And so we got the book on audio from the library and listened to it on our driving all around the States. And can I just be honest with you? That book challenged me on so many levels. In fact, if you are a parent or a teenager, I highly recommend that you go get that book and you read it because it challenges us in a whole new level because Wonder is a story about this young boy named August. His nickname is Augie. And he has this rare syndrome called Trecher-Collins syndrome, which is a rare facial deformity. And without giving it all away, because I really encourage you to read it, this book is a journey from Augie's, primarily from Augie's standpoint and how he views the world, but then also it goes to other people's standpoint and how they view him and how they treat him. And it just challenged me on so many levels, and it created so many conversations in my household and so many conversations with my boys in fact, this book was inspired by the song Wonder by Natalie Merchant. And she wrote, Fate smiled and destiny laughed as she came to my cradle. And you know, I think so often how many of us struggle feeling like the world just laughs at us and who we are, that we're not good enough, that we don't add up to the status quo of the expectations of this world. In fact, in the opening paragraph of the book, Wonder, August himself begins his dialogue by saying these things. I know I'm not an ordinary 10-year-old. I mean, sure, I do ordinary things. I eat ice cream, I ride my bike, I play ball, I have an Xbox. Stuff like that makes me ordinary, I guess. And I feel ordinary inside. But I know ordinary kids don't make other ordinary kids run away screaming in playgrounds. I know ordinary kids don't get stared at wherever they go. You know, how many of us live life that way? Just feeling like we're not good enough. That we don't meet up to the status quo of what's needed. Like I said, it challenged me on so many levels, but it also challenged me on the level of, spir of the spiritual sense as well. Because oftentimes we walk around struggling in the same light of, I don't really add up to this. I, I don't meet the expectations. And so what that then creates is many people live in what I like to call as spiritual fakeness. We come to church, we come to the weekend services, and we walk around faking it, pretending like we have it all going on, pretending like our marriage is great, our children are doing well, that life is in order and everything is wonderful, and we are just faking it. And we see and we think inside, if people knew the real me, if they knew the real struggles of my heart, if they knew what's really going on in my mind and my soul and everything else that is me, if they knew that, what would they really think? How would they really treat me? And what te tends to happen then 
is by living in spiritual fakeness, we often hold back from truly engaging Jesus and what he desires in us and what he wants to do through us. And then we come along to this curious comment that we're dealing with today. Because it makes us struggle and takes it to a whole new level when Jesus himself, the Son of God, the creator of everything that is, in Matthew 5, 48, says this curious comment, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, wait a minute. Is Jesus here now requiring perfection from me? Is that what he wants? Because if that's it, I can't live up to that. If you're anything like me, that, that, that ability died out a long time ago. I'm a mess up, and I have no way of being able to achieve perfection in my life, and neither do we. So how can this God of grace, this God of love, now say, you need to be perfect? Because this is the usual struggle that holds many of us back from engaging Jesus. The thought of being perfect holds us from getting involved. And then we find ourselves being quiet in our growth group discussions. You know, we, we don't say anything because, well, to be honest, we don't feel we know enough and we just don't want to look dumb. So we don't say anything and we don't engage. Or we come to church and we just pretend like we have it all together because we don't feel we can ever live up to it. We threw in the towel a long time ago. And this viewpoint of perfection then goes to another level because it then transforms our view of God into an angry father that we can never please, so why even try? And many of you may know someone, or maybe you yourself have given up the spiritual journey you threw in the towel because you think, I can't live up to it. This is what it is, and this is where I'm staying. But to be honest, the idea of perfection that our minds tend to go to when we th read these words was not what Jesus was intending. See, where our minds go and what Jesus is talking about are two completely different things. Because in order to truly understand this verse and Jesus' words, you need to know the Greek word for perfect. Because the English translation takes a little bit in a, in a, in a, in a direction that it's not supposed to. The word perfect here is actually used 16 times in the New Testament, and it is the word teleos. Teleos means completion or full bloom or spiritual maturity. In my backyard, my wife and I, we've been living in our home for a little over 10 years now. And when we first moved in there, we had the backyard landscaped and a tree planted in there. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not much of a, of a plant person. I, I, I don't do well at keeping things alive. So I, I do whatever's the basic, right? So we put this tree back there and it was a, it was a baby tree. They, they, they put, planted it in the ground. They put the ropes on to kind of keep it there so it can grow. And I had the easy job. Water for a few days. When it gets big enough, then you take the ropes off and it should live by itself. And that's what I did. And the tree grew, and it grew, and, it, and it, it, it matured as a tree. And a couple years later, I go down into my kitchen, and I'm getting things cleaned up, and I open up the blinds to our backyard, and I'm just like, whoa! And I yell to my wife, Shelly, you have to come down now. Check this out. She comes running down, and she thinks something's wrong. 
I go, check out our tree in the backyard. Because it's like overnight, after two years, that this tree grew and bloomed, all these beautiful flowers and, 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 and things just started happening on the tree. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. In our backyard, this tree I found out, I had no idea what was planted in our backyard, but I found out that day that it's a flowering plum tree. And every couple of years, it just blooms. And this beauty of all the flowers is just breathtaking, and I'm just blown away by it. And our journey with Jesus is kind of like the, the matura- maturation of the tree. You see, what happens is we begin in this journey with Jesus, and we are supposed to grow into a full bloom of what it means to become more and more like God and his character. That's what we strive for. It's not perfection as far as, okay, you got to follow these rules and never make a mistake, because even in spiritual maturity, you're going to make a mistake. But in the normalcy of who you are, you begin to bloom who is Jesus in such a way that when the world begins to see you, whoa, there is something different about you. I mean, the way you respond when things don't go your way, your attitude, you know, how you treat other people, there is something different about you. And that's the reality of what Jesus is saying here. It's not perfection as far as the do's and don'ts. It's the bloom of your character and who you are. That's what he's talking about. We're all on this spiritual adventure, and our goal is to bloom, to gain spiritual maturity, to find completeness in our journey. It's an ongoing process. We're never done with it until we meet God face to face. But in order to achieve this, first, you need to know that spiritual completeness forms through the ability to live out love. That's where it all begins. That's where it forms. It forms in love. And maturity comes through love. Now, okay, I know you're sitting there. Many people are thinking, I, I got this down, Bill. I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I love my wife. I love my, uh, my kids. I love my parents. I mean, they annoy me sometimes, but I, for the most part, you know, I get along with them. And, you know, all the people that are in my uh, framework of friends, friends, I love but that's not what Jesus is talking about. You know, for those of you who know me, I am a diehard Steelers fan. I have to admit it. Okay, I'm a Pittsburgh boy through and through, and I bleed the black and gold. And I was raised that anybody from Cleveland, yeah, not good. Stay away from them. You know, you despise the Browns. You despise anybody who wears brown. Okay, that's how I was raised. You stay away from the city of Cleveland. But God has this sense of humor. Because when I went to college and I started making friends, the guys who became my best friends are boys from Cleveland. I don't know what God was doing there. You know, he was, he was opening up a can of worms for me. And then a few years ago, God opened up these doors for me to do chapel services for teams that come in and play the Steelers. And the team I have done a couple times now are the Cleveland Browns. They need Jesus too, guys. Come on. And I had to find the ability to put away my black and gold and go on to talk to them. Yeah, God has a sense of humor. But on a serious note, we're living in very turbulent times. There is so much hatred 
in this world. And the hatred is just getting to a boiling point. We have become a nation so sharply divided. We have yet again become a nation divided politically and sadly racially. And in many cases, through social media and other platforms, I have seen more and more hate just spill out. And what breaks my heart is more times than not, that very hate is coming from those who claim to be followers of this God of love. What is wrong with us, guys? What is wrong with us? You know, God calls us to live out love. Not just love people that agree with us. Not just love people that we can stand or, or look like us or whatever it may be. To love everybody. That's what we're called to do. To live out love. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, it's easy to love those who love you back. It's easy to love with those who agree with you. That's not what I'm asking you to do, Jesus said. He says, I want you to have the ability to love even those who don't love you back. In fact, in the, in the, in the context of our curious comment that leads up to that, in verses 43 um, through 47, Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of everything that is, says these words. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate, um, I'm sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteousness and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, listen to this, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else? Don't even the pagans do that? And then he goes into our curious comment of the day. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are told that the two greatest commandments that sums up all the law is this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As we grow and mature in him, we should have the foundation of loving God and loving others. That should be the mark of who we are. Loving God means that I live to honor him with all my words, with all my actions, that I am mindful with the person that I am, that I know I'm not perfect, but I strive to be, the, that I strive the normalcy of who I am to think through my words, what comes out of my mouth, and also how I speak of other people, honor him and reflect him, that the choices I make and the lifestyle I live honors him and reflect him. That's loving God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. He is the priority of our life. And then from there, Jesus says, our second command is to love others. This means I find the ability not just to love my family, not just to love my friends, not just to love those who agree with me and who are nice to me, but I find the ability to love the unlovable. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. The ability to love those who I disagree with, who maybe personally I don't like, but I express love to them. That's blooming. 
that's blooming and becoming more and more like him. So at some point in our journey, we need to do an honest assessment. You see, in our jobs, many of us do evaluations, don't we? And evaluations are important. Why? Because you don't know how you're honestly doing or what you can do better to move ahead if you don't sit down and evaluate how things are going. And we need to do that in our spiritual journey as well. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, personally, we just need to pause, step back, and reflect and evaluate, how am I doing? Am I becoming more like him and less like me? Or am I still more my, like me and less like him? That's what we need to do because sometimes if we don't do that, we give ourselves a free pass and we don't grow. But if we're honest with ourselves, we can become more like him. So here's an honest assessment. This isn't in your notes. You can jot them down if you want to, that you can really do to assess, am I living out love? You know where it starts? Your attitude. The first assessment has to be your attitude. It always starts there. So in other words, when, I, when things don't go my way, how do I respond? When life throws me that curveball, how do I react? When that person cuts me off on the parkway, what do I do? You see, our attitude matters because your attitude, our attitudes drive our behaviors. Our behaviors follow our attitudes. And we need to be honest and do a full assessment of our attitudes. And then from there, another assessment and evaluation of our level of love is asking ourselves, how do we treat people? I mean, honestly, how do you treat people in your day-to-day -day life? I'm not saying when you walk in here and you see everybody who greets you and, and everybody's warm and friendly, out there in the world, how do you treat people? Those that you can't stand, those you disagree with, those who are always on your case, those who say mean things to you or say things about you, how do you treat them? Because that matters. And that's where Jesus was saying, you see, it's easy when you go home and live out love. But when you go work and you're having a bad day, when you walk down the street and someone cusses at you or says something about you or someone on social media tries to pull you into a political debate, that's when love matters even more. Living out love needs to be the framework of who we are so that we may bloom. Then taking this a step further, to live out love, we must be saturated with the character of God. Overwhelmed with the character of God and who he is. What this boils down to is what is your ultimate goal? Personally, in your life, your personal journey, what is your ultimate goal? See, I'm a goal-oriented person. I, I, I work best when I have a set goal and I'm working towards that goal. That's how I work best. And I know many of you are goal-oriented people, and some of you are not. But in our life, we all have goals, whether you realize it or not. Just, just look at your choices, your actions, what you do, and that kind of re reveals the goals in your life, whether they're spoken or unspoken. For example, some of our goals is to advance our political viewpoints, 
Or maybe it's to enjoy life to the fullest. Or maybe it is to live out our, the Christian adventure and become more like Jesus or something else. If we're all honest, we all have a goal in our life that we live for. And one of those goals that's in the depths of our heart is that when we go to judgment, we want to be able to have Jesus say, welcome in. Because none of us seriously want to be there, standing before Jesus face to face on the day of judgment, and him to say those, those fearful words, I never knew you. Get away from me. I, I mean, that, that scares me. And that's why this comment is so, so uh, uh, crazy and, and causes me to have fear in my bones when Jesus talks about this first uh, perfection and what does that mean for you. But please understand, the perfection he's talking about is not about a judgment perfection, but a, but a mat uh, maturity level that we grow to in our journey. And to really understand all of this, we need to kind of go to school a little bit and understand how God's story kind of folded out and how unraveled to where we are today. As we go back to the Old Testament, how it all began, we know the story of Adam and Eve and how they came into the, when it was perfect, and they ate that beautiful, lovely apple and brought sin into the world. And then through Moses, God introduced the law. And the law was there, the do's and the don'ts, and how we need to live in order to please God, because God is holy. And to, to be in his presence, there's a lifestyle that needs to be matched. And when we break that, that causes separation. And so we needed to follow the law. But then in the law, we realized we can't live up to it. And so that's when the idea of sacrifices came to be. And they had the, God create the temple, which was his dwelling place on earth. And if you messed up, if you broke one law, then you had to bring that, that perfect goat or lamb or whatever to the temple and go through all the washing rituals and the cleaning rituals and pass off to the priest who has to do his rituals before he can sacrifice it before God to make you right. And I don't know about you, but if I was living in the Old Testament times, I would have just had to have pitched a tent right outside the temple because I was going to be spending a lot of time there. Because I'm not perfect. And then we move to, the, old, to uh, the New Testament. Because what happened with the law, it gave us the reality that you will never be good enough. And neither will I. That's why Jesus came onto the scene. Because he came, as what he said in the early parts of the Gospels, to fulfill the law. In other words, all the requirements of the law that separated us, that, that, need, that we need to connect us to God, he fulfilled all of that through his death on the cross. That is grace. And so we have the ability through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to, the, to God the Father except through Jesus. He is the way to him. And so for that reason, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, you have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. And then we get to this. Because in the Old Testament, it was calling to be, here's a verse in Leviticus 2020 that they, or 2026 that they try to live by. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from, uh, uh, from the nations to be my own. Go trying to live up to a standard, but then that transformed in the New Testament because our goal in life is to become more like Jesus. With the new covenant, the people of God are called to a life completely consumed by and integrated with the character of the God who calls him to his kingdom. 
and my goal in life and your goal in life should be not to win political battles, not to live life to the fullest and get the most I can out of this world. Our ultimate goal in life is to be saturated by the character of God. Because if we want to change the world, we do so by becoming more like him. You know, as a father, I have three boys. And just to be flat out honest with you, I've made a lot of mistakes as a father. There's been many times that I have uh, fussed at my boys and I punished them only to come to the realization that they're mimicking me. I'm punishing them for doing what they saw me do and how they saw me act. And one thing I learned as a father that, I'm, that I know all you parents have figured out as well, our kids learn more by what they see than what they hear from you. It's just the reality of it, isn't it? We learn more by what we see in others than what we hear. And that never grow, we never grow out of that. Because here's the truth that we need to all know. We become like what we surround ourselves with. We become more and more like the very things that we surround ourselves with. You know, you surround yourself with, pe with people who are totally outside of God. You probably become a little bit more like them. Or maybe it's the music you listen to. Or maybe, maybe it's the movies you watch or TV shows you watch on TV. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of things that, you, that it could be. But ask yourself, who am I surrounding myself with? Because the, 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 what happens is I become more like that. And I become more and more like that in my life. And if I want to become more like God, I need to surround myself by him to become saturated with his character. And I hear so often people say, I, you know, God's nowhere around me. I don't, he's, not even, he, he's never there for me. And I'm frustrated with him. And what I often see is God has always been there, but we have stepped so far away from him, we surround ourselves with things of this world that, that we don't even know him anymore. If you want to become saturated by God and have his character overwhelm you and consume you and become what you are, you need to be hang out more with God and hang out more with God's people who, who will keep you accountable and help you to grow and become more like him because our spiritual maturity or completeness is not just found in our actions. It's found in such a deeper, deeper level. It's found in our mindset as we grow. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Your character matters, and does it match with God? Leading up to our curious comment, even before the words, the, the passage that Jesus was talking about love, he was, using, he was going through what's called the Sermon on the Mount and dealing with all this stuff to, as the new covenant and what it means to follow him. And he began to lay out, just before he got to our curious comment, some characteristics of, that should be revealed in our life. You know, he talked about murder and adultery and things like that. And so often we think, well, if I just don't do that, if I don't murder someone, then I'm good. If I don't physically commit adultery, then I'm okay. If I don't steal that peanut from Giant Eagle, then I'm all right. But every little thing from the smallest of white lie to the biggest of ordeals matters. But it starts not with your actions, but with your heart. 
And I really encourage you to read the verses leading up to what we're talking about today, Matthew 5, 21 through 47. We don't have the time to, to read it all today, but there Jesus discusses some of those qualities that we should strive for. You know, like murder. He says, you think that, he says, you've heard it say, do not murder, but even if you are angry with your brother and you, you speak evil against him, you are murdering him. He talks about uh, adultery. He says, even if you look, look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He talks about divorce and the brokenness in the home. He talks about oaths and how we should always be people of our words, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. He talks about an eye for an eye. He says, how we treat other people that, who wrong us matters. It matters. And there is a thread all between these characteristics that Jesus is listing and that is, the biggest issue is not your actions, but your character, your heart, your attitude. And what Jesus is defining, or better yet, what he is demanding, is a greater righteousness. It's a greater righteousness. See, righteousness in, the, in its most basic sense is being right before God. In fact, the dictionary defines righteousness as being free from guilt and free from sin. As I said a moment ago, Jesus, through his gift on the cross, has given us the opportunity to be right before God in terms of judgment. He, he satisfied the requirements of the law and has given us grace. Grace is not earned. Grace is something that's given to us, and we just accept that gift in our life. But living a life of righteousness is a whole other ball of wax. It's a whole other ball game. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 takes it to a whole new level. This is kind of a lengthy passage, but read it with me because this kind of un unfolds so many parts of living in righteousness. Paul writes, What then? Shall we, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you have become to obey your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and, and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of, slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, my friends, whether we realize it or not, we are all slaves to something. Every one of us are slaves to something. In other words, we all have a God that we serve. Whether you proclaim it with your lips or not, your actions reveal we all have a God that we serve. It could be money. It could be work, sports, living the good life, or maybe it's Jesus, or maybe it's something else. And the God that we serve consumes us 
Ultimately, it controls our actions, our choices, and our priorities, and everything else that is within us. And what Paul is saying is we need to know who our God is. Is it Jesus or is it the world? Because it will lead you on the path that you walk. And we need to know which path we're walking he calls it slaves to sin, which is the world, or slaves to righteousness, righteousness, which is God. You see, the factors, the, the realization of slaves to sin are, are those that are living for themselves, living for personal pleasures, whatever feels good in the moment, and, and so on and so forth. But the sad thing about being slaves to sin, Romans 6.23 says it, for the wages of sin is death. And this is not physical death that he's talking about. This is the spiritual death. Spiritual death is the separation from God for all eternity. As we live more and more for ourselves, what that has a tendency to do is pull us more and more away from God and his blessings and what he wants to provide for you. And Paul's question in the very first verse of verse 15 is a definite challenge to us. He asks, should we sin because we are under grace. In other words, since God is love, does it really matter? I mean, God loves us, and, and he died for us, and he gives us grace, and he's going to forgive us anyways, so can't we just have fun now, and he can forgive us tomorrow? Since God is a God of love, right? This is what's called abusing grace. And if you live life that way, you have so far gone missing out on what grace is all about. Because grace is not a pass to live life your way. Grace should alter who we are to become more like him. That's what Paul is saying here. That if we've truly allowed grace to transform our life, we should be transforming who we are to become more like him. That's what grace does. I don't live life to, to the fullest because, well, he's going to forgive me tomorrow. I want to live my life for him. See, but Paul says we should not be slaves of sin, but we should be slaves to righteousness. In other words, Jesus should be our priority in our life. You know, knowing that I am a child of grace in my life, my words, my actions should reflect the character of God. Yes, I will make mistakes. I will fall down. I will be a knucklehead many times. But the normalcy of who I am, I strive to reflect the normalcy of who God is and the reflection of his heart. Don't miss the promise that Paul gives in verse 23 of Romans 6, that very last verse in there. For the wages of sin is death, but listen to that, underline it, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's a pretty awesome benefit package if you ask me. And that's the benefit package that I want to strive for and I hope you strive for as we live out righteousness, as we become fully bloomed, walking in God's image, reflecting him, and you want to change the world? It's not in debates. It's by the person you are, the life you live, the reflection that you make of him. And then when people say, wow, there is something different there. I want what you have. What do you have that I don't? And then the doors begin to open for hope to be revealed and love to be shared.
So really quickly, these are in your notes. How, in a practical sense, can I really live out love? You know, well, first of all, ask yourself, is my allegiance to Jesus or the world? Where is my ultimate allegiance? Now, before you throw out the answer, my allegiance is Jesus, let's pause for a moment and let's truly evaluate my life in terms of my words. Because most often, our actions reveal our allegiance more than our words do. So who is your allegiance? Number two, allow Jesus to change my attitude. Like I said, it all starts there. Let Jesus adjust your attitude to become more like him and less like me. I want how I respond to life to reflect him and who he is. And then here's the great thing. An attitude adjustment will transform my character and my actions. Stop trying to fix your actions and fix your character. Fix your attitude. And when that happens, your actions will follow. The choices you make will follow. And here's the great thing. When you do all this, number four, the transformation provides so much better benefits. So much greater rewards that God wants to provide to you. Here's the bottom line. Stop living your life trying to be perfect and start living your life trying to be saturated and connected to the God that created everything that is and let him bring the perfection through you. Let his character saturate your heart and your mind and then soon your life will become more and more like him and you will change the world. One person at a time in fact paul takes it a whole to a whole new step in colossians chapter 1 verse 28 paul uses the same greek word there for perfect the teleos word when he writes these words in saw in colossians 1 28 he says he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in christ you see, living in this full bloom comes with a promise and also a challenge. The promise is the benefits and, and the blessing that you'll see in your life. The challenge is now you will become his reflection that will transform the world. And so as you bloom, you will begin to help other people come into a real relationship with him so that they can bloom as well. You see, God made an amazing promise. And that promise was revealed through his son Jesus when he died on the cross. That should transform our life's life into the likeness of him. And right now, we're going to move into our time of communion. And we do this each week here at Impact because it's a great opportunity just to pause and reflect on why we gather. And the reason we gather is because of Jesus and what he did on that cross. He was grace in action. And that grace saved us. But oftentimes, we've abused his grace. We come in here and celebrate him, and then we go out and we live life my way. And we abuse it. So as we gather together to remember his sacrifice, let's celebrate him, but then let's also just pause and reflect on our own self, evaluate our own journey. And maybe you've been living a life of abusing grace, living life your way. 
And maybe now is a great time to say, Jesus, I want to become more like you. I want to reflect you. I want to live out your love. I want to bloom. And let God transform you into his image so we can become more like him and see his benefits and start to change the world. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you because you came to us. You came and and gave us your grace. You loved us so much that you died for us. And in fact, Paul wrote in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And, And that just blows me away because what that means is you didn't wait for us to come to you. You didn't wait for us to ask for your forgiveness. You took the initiative to save us. And Lord God, we want to praise you for that. And we want to have that same attitude. We want to live out your love and become more like you. Lord, we want to um, bloom into your character. Transform our hearts, Father God. Transform our lives to your image. It's in your name we pray. Amen.